Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Carrie Lippert-Gillespie. Carrie is a TV host and podcast host with a huge passion for helping animals. Last summer, she started noticing more and more barn and outdoor cats in her rural central Wisconsin community. She called a nonprofit that specializes in high-volume, low-cost bay neuter and convinced them to bring their mobile vet unit to her house to sterilize all the cats in her neighborhood. Her team and she also raised funds to make the surgeries completely free of charge to the neighbors. The event was such a huge success that it's being used as a prototype for six other communities in central Wisconsin to host events just like that this coming spring and summer. Carrie, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much for having me on, Stacy. I am so happy to be here. So before we jump into the details on your program and everything that you're doing, how did you become passionate for cats? Well, honestly, I still tell people to this day, I'm not a huge cat person, but I am a huge animal person in general. And I'm very passionate about my dogs. And I grew up riding horses. And we had a family cat growing up that I loved, Fluffy, and she lived for a long time. But I always considered myself more of a dog person. But as a general, you know, whole, I'm just an animal lover. And I, I think, you know, animals are beautiful creatures. And I'm, I have a connection with animals. I don't know what it is. It's kind of hard to describe, but I just I have a lot of empathy towards them and I really just connect with them. And so I don't even know if I would consider myself a cat person per se, but I am just 100% an animal person. Well, you're clearly passionate about helping the cats in your neighborhood based on your story. So tell me a little bit about how did you encounter the cats in your neighborhood and, you know, take us through the steps. A lot of people, it sounds so obvious in your bio as to what you should do, but how is it that it all came together for you? Yeah, it does sound so obvious, but it's sometimes hard to connect those dots. And so what happened was last summer, it's about, yeah, probably around last summer, it took a little bit to get it going. I just kind of was starting to notice more and more outdoor cats, feral cats in my community. I live in a very rural area in central Wisconsin, so outdoor cats are the norm. And there's a lot of farmers in my area, a lot of dairy farmers or hobby farmers, and they all have cats and they all, you know, enjoy their cats. But from time to time, the population gets out of control and they become annoyed with it or they become upset because they can't stop, you know, the overpopulation and the mass reproduction of them. And it's just noticing I was hearing more people kind of complaining about the amount of cats. And then I was seeing them as well crossing the road and dodging traffic and things like that. And, you know, as I said before, I'm just a, I'm a huge animal lover. I see something and I hear something and I want to do something about it. I'm definitely one of those people where I can only talk about the problem for so long before I'm like, okay, we've established it. Let's move on to the solution. And in this case, it's something I was passionate enough about that I took took matters into my own hands. So for me, what that looked like was calling and getting in touch with a nonprofit called The Fix Is In. And they are a low cost, high volume spay and neuter clinic. And they have a mobile unit that they travel all around Wisconsin and they fix cats and dogs too. But I had actually gotten my barn cat. I have a barn cat that just showed up at my house. And so he claimed me as his own. Um, So (laughs) I had gotten my barn cat Cedric fixed through my local humane society partners with them to do the low cost spay 
and neuters for, you know, the animals they get in. And so he had gotten fixed by the fixes in. And so I was just familiar with them through that. And so as soon as I had kind of heard, you know, the rumblings of all the cats, I sent them a random email just to their general account and was like, basically like, hey, I know that you guys will come to people's houses. You know, they had a thing on their site that said, if you have, you know, 30 or more cats, that they would come to your house and fix your entire colony. And so I sent them an email and I said, look, I don't have 30 cats, but I bet between my neighbors and everyone around me, I could get 30 cats at my house. <laughs> you know, if I organized, you know, to have all these people bring their cats in, if I handled registration, did all this stuff, if I paid for it or got raised money to pay for it, would you guys come to my house and offer these surgeries and sterilize these cats in my neighborhood? And I got a response from the woman who runs the Fixes Inn, who's the founder, Carla, bless her soul, amazing woman doing amazing work. And I think she was kind of blown away at first that such an idea kind of came to her and that I was just like, yeah, I want to do this. So she was like, why don't we get on the phone and talk about this more? <laughs> and I was like, okay. So we got on the phone and she laid it all out for me. And I think she kind of thought she was going to scare me away, but I did the opposite. I was like, this is awesome. Let's do it. And so we just kind of started planning from there. And that's really how it started was just me sending an email saying, I'll do this if you'll help me. Let's make this happen. And it escalated from there. How did you find them? Did you find them through like posters that you saw or was it the straight old just googly thing? So my barn cat Cedric was fixed through them through my local humane society. So my local humane society, every once in a while, when they have space, they will take cats from the community. And you know, if the people contact them, and they will have them fixed through, you know, the people who fix their cats that then get adopted out. So I'm, I'm good friends with the humane society in my area, obviously, because I'm just an animal lover. And so I know them well. And I said, Hey, I had this, I have this cat that just showed up at my barn, and he's claimed me as his own. And I'm starting to feed him. So that means I need to fix him. I tell people that's my cardinal rule. If you feed them, you fix them. So I said, I'm, he's claimed me as his own and I need him fixed. And they said, sure, we have a load of cats going down to the Fixes Inn, you know, next month, we'll get them along. And so I met the Fixes Inn through my humane society, basically. Now I'm going to also talk about money because sometimes that's the stumbling block. You know, people will say the two things that are the stumbling block, I find when folks come across a situation and they feel like they just are overwhelmed and they don't know how to take that step forward is either there's no available affordable spay-neuter services, or there's no money. And, you know, we hear you say, oh, we reached out to neighbors and we did fundraising. What did that look like in terms of strategy for you? Yeah, so for me, it started with assembling a small team. And I say small because I think when you get too many people, it can be hard. So I had two people. I had my best friend who's really talented in marketing and writing news articles. She works for a news outlet. And then I also had my mother who's really good at nonprofit fundraising. She's done a lot of fundraising in her past and she's good at, you know, honing in on a message and then delivering it. So I had those two people and we met once a week for coffee and we strategized from there and we kind of just picked off and went through. We racked our brains for local businesses that we thought their customers might resonate with this, you know, this purpose and what we're trying to do. And we went out to them. So we booked visits. I reached out to, you know, I pulled every string, every connection I had. And my family's well known. My parents are well connected. And so they were able to just get me in the door. And I just went to these businesses and just pitched my idea. And I didn't, I didn't get all yeses. I mean, I got a lot of people who thought it was a great idea, but were leery about stepping their toe in this, this arena. And that was fine because, you know, when you're looking to 
change a paradigm, sometimes it takes time. And I think a lot of those people who maybe didn't donate at first, I think they will. You know, this event is really taking off and expanding. And they're going to want to be in on it because we're changing the culture and we're shifting how people are viewing, you know, community cats in our area. And they're going to want to be a part of that. So for us, it was just aligning and finding companies and brands that we could pitch our idea to. And we could just get them to hear us out and say, look, this is the issue. This is what we want to do to help. And we think your company, whether you, you know, sell gasoline to farmers, whether you sell feed to farmers, whether you are alone, you know, a credit union that gives out credit to farmers, those are all businesses that are really closely associated with this issue we're trying to tackle. We're trying to really address and change the environment and the living situation for outdoor and barn caps. So we really honed in on those businesses and we had some great success. We funded it fully. And then we also made it, you know, an option that people there on the day of the event the surgeries were free, but we put out a bucket and we said, you know, by the generosity of XYZ businesses, this event is free. But if you have it in your means to give anything and pay it forward for our next clinic, we would appreciate that. And just by doing that, we raised $700 for our next clinic. So it's amazing. A lot of these people, they couldn't afford if they're bringing in eight cats, they couldn't afford to pay, you know, it's $40 a cat, they couldn't afford that whole cost, but they could give something and that little bit added up. So how many cats did you do in that first day? We did 60 cats in one day. And is that about the capacity for the mobile vet for the day? That is 100% capacity. (laughs) (laughs) Capacity and then some probably, but um, I'm going to ask a few logistical questions. So my assumption is at least the mobile vet clinic that I ran, there's not enough space in the unit to do recovery. So did you do recovery in a secondary location? We did. That was part of what Carla went through with me when I first emailed her and I told her I wanted to do this event. She said, okay, but you're going to need to provide a couple of things for us. One of that was we needed, and my clinic was in November and this is Wisconsin. So we needed some place where we could all be kind of warm. We didn't have to be, you know, in t-shirts and shorts, but we needed to be able to keep the cats warm and we needed all of our volunteers to be semi-comfortable. So, and because I live on a farm, we have a number of buildings. One of them, we call it the man cave. So it's heated. It has a TV and a couch and a a little kitchenette and a bathroom. And I'm like, I have the perfect space. And I told her about it. And she's like, you're right, that is the perfect space. So we did logistically, we needed that we needed, you know, a space that we could keep temperature controlled, we needed access to water, we needed a bathroom for, you know, volunteers and things like that. But other than that, those were the big things I needed on my part in terms of like providing to them. And then we also went a little bit farther, and we wanted to provide a meal for all of our wonderful volunteers and for the fixes. And so my parents actually sponsored a meal for everyone as well. So those are kind of some of the things that I had to have in order for her to even think about bringing it to my place. I'm going to take a little step back to you. You were talking about the outreach within the community asking for their support. Now, you are not a 501c3 organization. So how are they able to donate to the effort? It just wasn't a tax deductible donation. No, so they didn't donate to me. They donated to the Fixes In, which is the low-cost, high-volume spay and neuter clinic that did the surgery. So none of the donations went to me. Everyone who donated either donated cash, which I then distributed to the Fixes In, or if they wanted to write me a check, they wrote it directly to the Fixes In. So it was tax deductible. None of it went to me. I myself am not a 501c3, but the Fixes In is. But that's part of that relationship and developing it with the nonprofit. And oftentimes I will get emails from people saying, oh, I want to do this. So I need to be a 501c3. And did you ever think you wanted to be your own 501c3? Or did you just say, hey, you know, the folks at the fixes in, you know, can I just use your tax ID number so that I can get donations? 
Yeah, no, that's something I've thought about in the future. And I had some people ask me that. But I mean, I can't do what I'm doing without them. So why would I form my own 501c3? You know, all the money that I would raise is going to them anyways, because I need their vet services, you know, so that's what I'm paying for, essentially. So I mean, you don't need to reinvent the wheel, you know, you don't need to be a 501c3 to do this, you just need to partner with with someone The fixes in has been my partner in this, you know, so I am really just like the boots on the ground for this, but I am pie this for them and what they're doing. I ultimately believe in their mission so much and the services they're providing. And I just knew that I had the personality and the connections and the gumption to kind of do the legwork on it. But otherwise, they are 100% have been my partners in this. Providing a safe and nurturing environment is every cat caregiver's top priority. The American Association of Feline Practitioners understands your cat's natural behaviors and aims to supply you with tips and resources to help you provide the very best care for your cat. Join our cat community by visiting catfriendly.com and you can sign up for our newsletter. This website was designed to be a place where cat caregivers can receive credible and trustworthy information from veterinarians on a variety of topics just for cats. Learn ways to understand your cat's unique characteristics and behaviors, how to keep your cat healthy, and the importance of routine veterinary care. Did you know that August 22nd is National Take Your Cat to the Vet Day? Make sure you visit catfriendly.com to find out why it is important to take your cat to the veterinarian for his or her annual checkup. Get tips on how to make it a less stressful experience for you and your cat. You can also search for a cat-friendly practice near you. Don't wait. Visit catfriendly.com today. Does your cat have dazzling eyes and an effervescent personality? Is your adopted kitty the most beautiful in your eyes? The Cat Fanciers Association wants to invite you and your cat to join its new Companion Cat World program. Since 1906, CFA has had a deep love and respect for all cats, no matter what their breed. Companion Cat World is part of our mission to make all cats' lives better with love and celebration. You and your cat can join for just $13. Plus, your cat will be showcased in a CFA gallery. You'll get exclusive discounts on cat food, toys, and supplies, plus a customized membership card. You'll get to attend events and the chance to compete in the household pet category in our regional, national, and international cat shows. And a portion of your fee will benefit homeless cat rescues and shelters throughout the world. Check us out at www.cfa.org. Is your organization struggling because your out-of-date shelter software doesn't support your organization's needs? Do you struggle to communicate with your fosters and to get videos, photos, and updates on the animals easily? Did you know that Dubert does much more than transport? If you haven't been back to Dubert in a while, you definitely need to check it out. Their rescue tube functions allow you to easily get video from fosters and staff, and their foster space module is revolutionary in the industry, allowing you to manage hundreds of fosters while easily communicating with them through text, email, and messaging. Dubert is the only place where you can manage fosters, transports, social media, and even your own online store all in one place. Whether you're trying to manage 10 animals or 10,000, Dubert provides much more than any shelter management package does for managing your organization at scale. Check it out and sign up for free at www.dubert.com where they make animal rescue simple. 
You have done this one project, the 60 cats. Do you have any estimates? Like, are you targeting a specific area and then estimating the number of cats that are going to need assistance? I see you've expanded, so you're going to hit six other communities. But in terms of being impactful, you know, how much of an impact will that be in the overall community? I'm not sure what the size of the county is, the size of the population, or what you think the numbers of cats that are out there that need this kind of assistance. Yeah, so we don't have any hard and fast numbers. You know, there's X amount of cats that need fixing, that need sterilization. We don't have any hard and fast numbers on that. We're just trying to, I guess, go into communities and make enough of a difference that these people can tell that they can have healthier ecosystems on their farms in terms of the cats that they do have. But we do have a goal. We launched Me and the Fixes In together. I've been working with them. I've been coming on since I met them through my event. They have asked me to come on and to to help them turn this into you know, my event was kind of a prototype that we're taking to other communities now. So I've been spearheading getting this out into other communities because I believe in it so much. And so we launched, I don't know if you're familiar, but the 2020 is the Chinese year of the rat. And so we coined it the year of the cat. So that's kind of our initiative. So the year of the cat 2020, we're trying to fix 2020 cats between spring and summer before, you know, this kitten, well, kitten season is kind of going on. Kitten season is usually, you know, usually, Usually, uh, you know, female cat can have two litters per year, hopefully not three here. It kind of depends. But we're having an early spring. So I'm hoping, you know, that does leave space for that possibly to happen. So a lot of it happens in the spring when the shelters in our area are just inundated with kittens and cats. We're trying to get ahead of some of that here in the spring. So that's really our initiative with the Year of the Cat in 2020. So you say that your shelters are inundated. I mean, there are some parts of the Midwest that aren't necessarily super inundated or as inundated as they may have been in the past with the addition of return to field programs or trap new to return programs. Have you seen any evidence of that happening? Yeah, so TNR is huge, and I believe wholeheartedly in TNR. There are some communities, honestly, where I am at, where I live, that TNR is against, you know, city ordinance, and it's considered, you know, abandoning an animal or, you know, things like that. So one of our goals is outreach on TNR and letting them know that there is a place for this, and it can help some of these efforts. So that is something that we're kind of working on. I definitely believe in TNR and believe in the positivity that can have in terms of helping the shelters. In terms of the shelter that I'm most familiar with here, they tend to go through a lull in the winter months. You know, it calms down and they have less volume of cats. But in the spring, come springtime, in the summertime, they are at capacity again. It's kind of this roller coaster that they ride. And I was just talking to the shelter manager that I'm really close with, and she was saying they're gearing up, they're getting ready, they know they're going to be at capacity. It's only a matter of time. So it is a roller coaster. They're not always full, but they will get back up there every year it happens. So when we were chatting before we hit the record button, you had mentioned that you are a podcaster. And uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about your podcasting experience? Yeah, I would love to. So I'm a TV host by trade. I started in sports broadcasting and I started a podcast as well. Now I do lifestyle TV hosting and kind of freelance work. But the podcast is kind of my, you know, creative outlet. When I'm on TV, I'm, I'm talking about things that other people want me to talk about. I'm reporting on a game or I'm hosting a program. And, and so I'm really following guidelines and I'm, you know, kind of cultivating a conversation in that way. My podcast is my way of cultivating my own conversations on my own time. And it's really fun. I get to bring on really inspiring people, whether it's in their career 
career or just things that they're doing outside of their career. I just, it's a place where I bring on people who have messages and have stories to share. And we just share that story. You know, I'm a journalist at heart. So I, I love storytelling. And so that's really what it is. It's called Candidly Speaking. And it's great. It's been a lot of fun. I do talk about The Bachelor every once in a while. We just recapped The Bachelor finale because I do have a little bit of a pop culture, you know, love me from time to time. But for the most part, you know, it's just me hanging out with inspiring people and sharing their stories. That sounds like a lot of fun. Sounds very exciting. How long have you had it going? About a year or so. Excellent. And I assume folks can find it on all of wherever you enjoy listening to podcasts. You sure can. It's everywhere. (laughs) That's excellent. Excellent. If folks are interested in finding out more about your podcast or the programs that you're doing in Wisconsin, how would they do that? To find out more about me and get in touch with me, you can go to my website, carriegillespie.com. I have a contact sheet on there. If anything in this interview has sparked your interest in doing what I've been doing in my community with the cats, fill out the contact form there, and I would love to just chat with you, give you some guidance if this is something that you're looking to do. Otherwise, I'm on Instagram, carrie.gillespie. I'm on Twitter. I'm also on Facebook, Carrie Gillespie. I'm in all the places, and I would love to help you if this is something that you're looking to do. So just reach out. I'm very friendly, I promise. That's great. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? I think, Stacey, I just want everyone to get from this interview that I am no one special. I am not, you know, someone who has spent my whole life doing this. I literally am just an animal lover who saw a need in my community and just decided to do something about it. And that's all you need to be. That's all you need to do. A lot of people have been saying, oh, I don't know how you did this, or I wish I could do something like you're doing. But that's the thing, Stacey, they can. Everyone can do something like I'm doing. I literally just got on my computer and sent an email and it just kind of escalated from there. And All of the beautiful things in our world have started with something simple like that. Just someone seeing a need and then deciding that they're going to take that need into their own hands and make a solution for it. So I I think that's what I want people to get from this. You don't need to be special. You don't need to have a grand plan. Just lead with your heart and do what you can, you know, to help the need in your community, to help these cats, to do what you can. That's all it takes. That's great. It's a wonderful thought to have our folks have at the end of the show here. I'm just looking at the numbers and I'm astonished. You know, here you start out with helping 60 cats in one year, then you're aiming to help 2,000 cats. I just can't wait to see what you're going to do during years three through five in terms of uh, scaling up in terms of the number of cats. You do have the passion for cats and you're turning it into action. So you embody all of the things that this show is really focused on. So I want to thank you and congratulate you on all the work that you're doing. And thank you for helping all of those cats that are in Wisconsin. Thank you so much, Stacey. I really appreciate it. I think I'm officially a cat person. (laughs) (laughs) Look forward to having you on the show again. So hopefully maybe in a year or so, we'll be able to touch base and hear how things have gone over the last year. I would love that. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats Podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 